Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Perfect. Perfect. How many of you have heard about a man by the name of Moses? Yeah. Okay, I guess he's pretty popular. He did a lot of really, really, really great things during his ministry. I mean, he took, a, he became a, he was a person who had a hard time talking, stuttered, and God used him. And God used him to go before Pharaoh. God used him to bring forth the plagues. God used him to uh, take the children of Israel out of Egypt. God used him to part the waters of the Red Sea and to take the children across on dry land. But what was Moses' greatest moment? When he talked to God. When he talked to God. Bingo, you got that right. <laughs> In Exodus 32, we see where Moses went up the mountain he talked with God. Actually, in Exodus 20, he goes up to the mountain. He talks with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. God gives him a bunch of other commandments. Moses goes down the mountain. He tells everybody about the commands of God. And then God has him come back up the mountain again. But when he's down the mountain, before he goes back up, uh, he tells the people all his commands. And they say, we will do what God commands. It sounds very Awesome. He goes back up, and he is having this mountaintop experience. Now, last week, the woman had a retreat up, mount, up, up in the up mountains. A couple weeks from now, the men are going to go up. And when we go on those retreats, we get a mountaintop experience. We go up there, we sing praises to God, we pray together. We come down energized. Well, that's a two-day retreat. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days with God. Me and you and you and me. That's when he started growing. And he was having a great time with God. Now God, Moses was focusing strictly on God. God was focusing on Moses, but Moses, God was also uh, focusing on everything else, including what's going on down the camp. Now, if I'm in a conversation with you and someone comes up and says, "Hey, Charles, I, I got to stop my conversation with you. Yeah, how can I help you? I cannot think." To, my mind is very limited. But God is not limited. Well, God was having a special one-on-one with Moses, writing, and God writing with his own hand in stone the, the, the law, the Ten Commandments. God sees what's going on down below on the mountain, and the people were sinning. And they were ignoring God, but God was not ignoring them. Today we're going to be talking about prayer. And there are different kinds of prayer. Now, the list I have here in front of you is a list I got off the Internet. I was going, what are the different kinds of prayer? And, and I went to one site that says five kinds of prayer. Another site said there's eight types of prayer. Another site said there's 30 types of prayer. Well, we, the church, are the bride of Christ. That means he's our spouse. And how many kinds of conversation do you have with your spouse? Well, we have a serious conversation. We can have a joking relationship. We can have a business meeting. Hey, what are we going? You know, we just got. Uh, uh, we're short on cash this month. You know, uh, we got these two bills. Only enough to pay. How are we going to do this? We have a business meeting. We have different kinds of 
of conversations. Ouch, I just, oh, let me help you there, you know. Whatever the case is, our, how do we define the relationships we have, our conversations we have with our spouse or our loved ones? Well, there's many kinds of prayer. And here we see a prayer of worship, a prayer of praise, a prayer of thanksgiving. Aren't they all the same? We have this differences between them. Uh, one of the categories that I didn't see in any of those websites is a prayer of repentance. Well, that we all need a prayer of repentance. Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me, Father, for my sin and renew in me a clean heart. Psalm 51. A petition, Lord, I just pray that you'll take care of this need or take care of that need or whatever the case is. Lord, I pray you help me get the green light before it turns red. And when we, when we get the green light, we thank God. Do we thank God for the person who got the green light when we had to get there on a red light? I mean, whatever. We, we, prayer, I mean, prayer can be very serious or it can be very fun. Lord, thank you for that green light. Did God turn the light just for me? I don't know. But I'm going to thank him for it anyway. I mean, there's different kinds of prayer. But the prayer that Moses had was not a prayer saying, thank you, God, for the green light. They didn't have green lights back then. Um, is a prayer of intercession. And what is intercession? Intercession is pleading with God on behalf of another. So when you say, Lord, please give me that green light, that's not a prayer of intercession. That's a request. He may or might not give it to you. I know it's a silly example, but it's fun. Um, but a prayer is pleading with God on behalf of another. So let's go to... Uh, Exodus 3.2, and that's in page 34 in the Bibles. If you don't have one of our pew Bibles, everything's printed on the screen this week. But it's always good to have a Bible in front of you. In fact, you know the reason I bring the Bible up with me? Uh, I'm the preacher, right? It makes you look more spiritual. I have everything on the screen there. But, you know, I love the Bible. It's awesome. It's the best book. It's, you need, by the way, side comment. The Bible sells more books than New York bestseller every single year. They never list it as a bestseller, but there's more Bibles sold every single year. And if you can't afford one, you always find someone who will give you one. So that's a little side comment. Going to Exodus 32, 11 through 14, we're going to jump partway into the passage. We're not starting from the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning. You know, sometimes you turn on a TV show and they show something and they, and they take you back earlier and they give you the, the, what led up to that moment. That's what we're doing right now. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say, their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountain and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about the terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all this land that I have promised to you to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Let's go on. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. God changed his mind. God 
changed his mind. Now, does that make sense? I mean, we read in 1 Samuel 15, 29, and he, um, there, and he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. So now we have a scripture that says God changes mind. Moses talked him into changing his mind. And yet we have a scripture that says God does not change his mind. He's not human. He won't do that. In Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. That's why, your descendants, why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. In James 1.17, New, New Testament, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So how could God change his mind when he said he's going to destroy the people who are sitting because they made this golden calf? And he changed his mind. Well, can we change the mind of God? Do we want to change the mind of God? He's perfect, we're not. He's love, we're sinful. Do I want to change the mind of God? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, do we want to change God's mind? Does God want us to convince him to change his mind? Last question, does God want us to convince him to change his mind? Actually, God did not change. The circumstances changed. I'm going to kind of jump ahead to the story of Jonah. Jonah, there's a number of cases, uh, which I'm, a couple of cases I'm going to talk about. I'm kind of jumping out of my notes, but I want to cover this part. God tells Jonah to call to Nineveh and say, you're going to be destroyed. Now, Jonah didn't want to go there. He wanted him destroyed. Finally, when he did go to Nineveh, he says, you're going to get destroyed. I got my popcorn, my extra large soda. I can go up in the mountain. I'm going to watch the action. And they repented. And God changed his mind. Jonah was upset. God does not change. The circumstances changed. God will destroy those who are evil, but he will, with mercy, save those who are repentant. Now, let's go back to verse 1. The golden calf. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up here from the land of Egypt. You remember those little kids? Sometimes we give them a picture and it has some things wrong with it. The clock doesn't have any hands on it or the dog has five legs. like that. And they say, what's wrong with this picture? Well, here before you is a picture of the mountain in the background, the cloud representing God, and this golden calf at Aaron. What is wrong with this picture? Everything. He should not have been there with this golden calf. So... An idol is an image of a god. Now, why don't we have images of God? No one's ever seen it. Bingo, you're right again. How can you make an image of a god who is eternal that is not 
seeable. What's the name of that telescope they just sent up a million miles past the moon? And they take a picture on the darkest spot in space, and they get the picture back, and they see millions of stars out there that they didn't know about. God is where those stars are at that we did not even know existed. How can we make an image of him in a, as a golden calf? An idol is an image of an invisible... When an idol is an image of an invisible God, it reduces that God's greatness to that of an image of an item, as an animal or whatever the case is. That's what one reason God doesn't want idols, even of him. Verse 1, I'm going to break it into three parts. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. Were they rather impatient? The children of Israel were slaves for 400 years. Now, the first one they were slaves didn't, weren't around this part of the group. They kind of had a few generations in there. But these people could not wait an extra day or two when Moses was gone for 40 days. You know, sometimes our impatience gets us into trouble. i got to have it now. I can't wait. I'm going to make a decision right now. And patience is a character that God has, and it's a character he gives us. And patience, if we don't have faith, we get more impatient. Patience and faith goes together. Yeah, I would like to have that situation today. I prayed about it, and know God and his greatness will take care of it. I can think of so many stories in my own life where I know that God worked at a later time than what I wanted. Psalm 27, 14. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now, in the box, I have a few examples Impatience in the Bible. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. It should be just Abraham and Sarah. They both were impatient. God promised Abraham this great, all these people, and is God going to make a promise that I'm going to create with you all these descendants and then not fulfill the promise? But they decided to help God out, and Sarah says, here, take Hagar. And he goes, Sure. We're still suffering under that decision today. They were impatient. And God still fulfilled his promise in God's timing. So us helping God out does not help God out. We just need to let God do his work. Amen and Tamar is a terrible, terrible story. I debate whether to put it in here or not. But Amen is the son of Joseph, uh, 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 David, has a, is a hot for his half-sister, and instead of marrying her, he rapes her. Then the love in which he, the, the hate in which he hated her was stronger than the love in which he loved her. It was another disaster story. He ended up getting killed by Absalom because he could not wait. Our impatience gets us into trouble. And then there's a story, the parable of the prodigal son. I don't, want my, I don't want to wait till my dad dies. I want the money now. He takes off and wastes it all. Now, patience in the Bible, Joseph was sold into slavery. Then he gets sold, you know, he gets, you know, and then he gets thrown in prison. Then he fulfills a, 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 a dream and uh, uh, 
and then he's forgotten about. He's very patient, but God is timing. God used Joseph and put him in a position, a second command of all Egypt, and he brought forth the children of Israel in, away from a famine into the land of Egypt. That's before they became slaves. But God used him in a mighty way. He was very, very patient. Ruth was faithful to Naomi. They're both widows. And she said, your people be my people, your God my God. And she was very faithful to Naomi. And God used Ruth in a very mighty way. Then going back to the story of the prodigal son, you got the prodigal father. This is a story of patience. No, not yet. Next day, not yet. Next day, is that my son? How long did he wait? But he had patience knowing his son was going to come back. Now going to the third part of verse 1. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. You know, the people didn't have a relationship with God. They had a relationship with Moses. In Exodus 20, verse 19 and 20, and they said to Moses, you speak to us, we will li- and we will listen, but don't let us speak directly, don't let God speak directly to us. Do not let God speak directly to us. He scares us. I want you to represent God to us. We don't want to talk to God. And, and Moses replied, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. You know, Pastor Greg is a really good pastor. We have really good elders. We have people in this church who are not good elders. We have people of God in this church. But if you look to us for your relationship with God, you're looking in the wrong area because, you know what, I'm human and I can sin. I am far from perfect. You know the reason I'm taking notes? Because I can't remember everything. I listened to some, when I prepared this message, I looked on YouTube, and I found, I listened to some of the messages, and I go, how are they preaching such a long sermon without notes? Well, that's not me. And, but I'm not perfect. Pastor Greg is not perfect. Your spouse is not perfect. And you need a relationship with God. And what happens is, if you're depending upon Moses, and he's not there, you're lost. God said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so we need to have the relationship. So when Moses wasn't there, they started getting scared, frustrated, and said, hey, let's let's have some gods. And so going back to the middle part of verse 1, it says, and they gathered around Aaron. Now Aaron's supposed to be, he was a spokesman for Moses who spoke the words of God to Pharaoh. He did one thing a little bit right, which we'll get into a little bit later, but, but he was sitting along with everybody else. And they gathered around Aaron and said, come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. They're going back to what is familiar. The Jews were in Egypt for 400 years. Israel had a nation of one god. Egypt had over 400 gods. They had a god for crocodiles. You want to go worship God for crocodiles? A, god for the, a sun god. They had a god for the river Nile. They had a god for love. Well, that's fun. A god for geese. 
God for baboons. God for scarab e beetle. God for cats. God for frogs. God for marriage. God for justice. Now I covered 10. You want me going with the other 390? I, I don't think I have enough time in the sermon to do that, but we won't do that. They had apis. I don't, I didn't, that's <laughs> the way it's pronounced. Um, Egyptian bull, a deity. He was like well, the top deity of the bull that was their, their intermediary between humans and God. Bunch of bull, but I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> But they were going back to what is familiar. If we grow up in a life of sin and we go to church and doing the religious thing, just being religious, going through the rituals and all that, and then we come into frustration, we're going to go back to what's familiar. If we're familiar with sin, we're going to go back to sin. We're going to go back to what's comfortable. We're going to go back to what, we're, what, we're, what we know how to do. And even though they saw all the miracles and God lead them out of Egypt... When Moses wasn't there, they went back to what was familiar. And in 1 Corinthians 5.17, I think, going by memory, you know, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature. Creature, old things have passed away, all things become new. It's not just enough to have religion. You've got to have Christ. You need to be made a new creature where it's no longer our sinful desires driving us. We need God guiding this. And I cannot do it without him. So they go back, for you shall have no other gods before me. They heard that. You shall make no idols. They heard that. But they discounted, discounted that and went back to what was familiar. And so Aaron, the spokesman for Moses, said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You know what Moses should have said? He said, it does not matter where Moses is, we are not making any gods. That's far from what he said. Now, if it, do any of you here today have any gold earrings or any gold? I have a gold ring, any gold necklaces. On behalf of the church, I'd like to say, keep it. We don't need it. So I just thought I'd let you know that. We're not collecting any gold rings today. Um, the golden calf statue may have been made, I heard, I mean, you think the whole thing was gold. I heard that a lot of statues back then, what they do is they would make it overlay wood. And if they burned later on, beyond the story we're talking about, they burned the statue. Well, how can you burn gold? But they burned it because it was overlaid with wood. And the wood would burn, and the gold would you know, melt and fall apart. Then they ground it all up. They put it in liquid, had them drink it. Have you ever had alka saucer? Alka saucer is supposed to soothe the upset stomach. Well, this is the opposite. It gave you an upset stomach. And not only that, but it was no, more, no more calf, so I guess you could say it was decaffeinated. But, um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, 
Aaron saw how excited the people were. Oh boy, I said something. They're all excited. They're all coming to me. They're, we're making this, this calf. And, and so he built an altar in front of the calf. And he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Well, having all these gods is wrong. But if we bring God back into it, it's going to be okay. Now, earlier I had a picture that said, what's wrong with this picture? I got another one for you. There's, there's a cross on the, on the top there. That's a good place for the cross. So it's kind of on top above all the others. But then you have Islam, you have Buddha, you have Judaism, you have Odinism. You have a few more on there. I can't remember what they are. That's our society today. And we live in a world of multi-religions. I know. I, my job overseeing them all for the Department of Corrections. I had to make sure they all had their time to worship, but I don't worship with them. And, and so what Aaron, and I've, I've heard people say, well, we all worship the same God. That sounds so nice, so untrue. We don't all worship the same God. So we may be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And just because Aaron said, you know, let's make a festival to the Lord, they're worshiping many gods. And so the next day was the big party day, in verse 6, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Sex orgies. Being drunk. They're having a party. They're using the name of religion to have a party. It's okay, it's religious. They did not have a relationship with God. Yeah, when we don't have a relationship with God, we go the wrong direction. And they were seeking physical imagery of God, and they were partying in the name of religion. I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 5.17, if any person is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old passed away. If, we don't, if we're not in Christ, we're going to go to this. So, they're having their party down below, and God is talking with Moses, and the Lord said to Moses in verse 7, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrected themselves. Your people who you brought. The wife and the husband. This, our son is so good. Our son got an A in school. He was on our team. Next day, this son of yours, he got in a fight today. This son of yours, this daughter of yours was blah, 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 blah. We disown them when they are a problem. And so God's saying, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Well, um, maybe what God was really saying was, they don't represent me. They don't look like me. These people were creating my image. They don't look like me. They're your people, Moses. I have nothing. They don't want anything to do with me. They're not my people. But you know also what's interesting here? It's so easy to get focused later on, like God said, I'm going to destroy them. But it's first words God uses, quick, go down. Go back to Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and says, tell them they're going to be destroyed. And God changed his mind. 
The circumstances change. God wanted Moses involved. If God was really intent on destroying the people of Israel, why would he have to tell Moses? He was looking for a response from Moses. And sometimes when you see a situation and it's heavy on your heart, maybe it's because God is telling you there's a situation you need to take care of. You need to take care of the situation with your son and daughter. You need to take a situation with your neighbor. There's a situation at work. There's whatever the case is, the Lord puts it on your heart and you're struggling with it. Because he says, go quick, go quickly, go down the mountain. There's a problem. And God goes on and says, Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious people are. Have you ever thought, I remember, I remember when I was younger, I was saying, gee, if God would only do more miracles. If God were, if Jane, if God would only heal her, she'll know that God's real. If this family over here, if, if they could just win the lottery, then they'll know that God's real. If God could do more miracles, and you take these people here, they saw the plagues. They saw more miracles than anyone in history. They, they saw the water turn to blood. They saw the gnats and the flies. They saw the blood over the, they, they, they put the blood over the doorpost, and the angel of death passed over and saved the firstborn. They were led by the pillars of the cloud and the pillars of fire. And they saw the Red Sea part, and they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, and they saw the Egyptian army get drowned in the water after they passed over. What more miracles can you have? And so when God says, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious people are. Stubborn's right. They're stuck in their old ways. God did all these miracles, and they're still worshiping golden calf. And so, we see where God says, Now leave me alone, so my fierce anger can blaze against him, and I will destroy them. I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. Hmm. It's not a bad deal. I get to be the next Abraham. And, and, and it was God serious about destroying them? Well, God went to Noah and said, build yourself an ark. I'm going to destroy one. What did he do? He built, him, he built himself an ark. And what God do? He destroyed them. God can do that destroying work. Noah didn't pray for the people. Noah didn't ask God, say, hey, do, do you really need to destroy them? He goes, okay. How, how big you want this ark, God? You want two of every kind? Sure, no problem. Just bring the animals to me. I'll put them on. Thank you, God. And then there was uh, Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it's interesting. Abraham says, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10 righteous people? And God said, if there's 10 righteous people, I will not destroy them. He couldn't find 10. They were still destroyed. Abraham was arguing over the righteousness of the people, and they were not righteous. You know, if Moses tried that argument with God, the people would have been destroyed, because even Aaron was blowing it. There was not ten righteous there. They were not righteous. And, 
and but Moses prays. He are he, he didn't say, let's say, how do you pray, dear Holy Father? I come before you this day. No, he would just say, God, you can't do this. And so, you know, he he is given the opportunity to become the next great Abraham. All descendants through him. And he, you know, God can go ahead and do that. And I believe God could do that. But this passage says, leave me alone. God, Moses saying, no. I think God was really saying, I heard one of the commentators say, I couldn't really verify this in Hebrew or not, but he, what God was really saying, if you leave me alone, I'm going to destroy them. And sometimes we pray, what God's going to do, what God's going to do. And, you know, we, you know, whatever God wants to do, I'm not going to mess with God. So if God wants to destroy them, God let, them, let God destroy them. But he says, if you leave alone. And Moses said, I'm not going to leave you alone. Now, something interesting, it says, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord as God. But Moses. Now, throughout the Bible, we see where it says, but God. In Genesis 48, 21, then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. But God will be with you. In 1 Samuel 23, 14, and Saul sought him, David, every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So Saul was trying to kill David, but God, but God, but God would not turn David into, over to Saul. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation that is taking that there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful. But God. Genesis 81. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts. In 1 Corinthians uh, 1. But God chose what was foolish of the world to shame the wise. But God. Without God, it would have been different. Romans 5, 6 and through 8. But God shows his love for us. But God shows his love for us. If he didn't show his love for us, we'd be in trouble. Exodus 13, 18. But God led the people about. But God led the people. Um, April, Pastor Reyes and I went down to Mexicali. We were there for eight, nine days. And on Easter Sunday, we had our last service. It was a great week, really seeing God work. And my closing statement was, this has been an awesome week, but... Pastor Reyes and I have to go back. We may be back next year. But God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God, even though Pastor Reyes and I are gone, God is here with you. And they're all, hallelujah, glory, all yours. But God is with you. Well, this passage here starts off and says, but Moses. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord. In other words, God's going to destroy the people, but Moses. And maybe there's a situation where we're going to be uh, but Martha, but George, but Ralph, but put your name in there. Because God's going to use you. That Put your name in there. But Moses tried to pacify his Lord. He said, Oh Lord, he said, Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt? It was such great power and such a strong hand. Remember, God was saying, you're people whom you brought out of Egypt. And Moses saying, but you're, 
your people whom you brought out. Remember, God, you had something to do with this also. One thing, Moses refused to do nothing. Well, you know, God says he's going to destroy them. God's going to destroy them. God will do what God's going to do. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No, he's going to do something. And God wants us to do something. He doesn't want us to be a passive people that said, whatever. Do something. And Moses appealed to the grace of God. God, remember, these are your people. People look at these people, they don't think of me, they think of you. These are your people. They represent you, God. Even though they're sinning like crazy, they're your people. Then he goes on and says, Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them on the mountain and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. God, think about I'm not worried about are there 10 righteous there. We, Lord God, I know there's not 10 righteous down there, but your reputation is the line. He's thinking about God. Now, did God know that already? Yeah, God knew that, but he, asked, he was trying to get Moses to argue for them. And also I find interesting in the next part, next verse, Remember your servants Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. In other words, if you do away with these people, you're breaking your promise, God. God wasn't going to break his promise. If God destroyed those people and sent the lions through Moses, Moses was the descendant of Abraham. God was keeping his promise. And God, most of Moses was praying a theologically incorrect part of that prayer. And sometimes when we pray, we may be theologically wrong. And God did not stop and say, hey, Moses, time out. Let me correct your theology there. God wasn't going to get distracted with details. Moses was talking with God. And when you're praying, you quote, misquote scripture, God's going to say, he's talking to me. She's talking to me. She's praying. He's praying. And God would not correct us on the fine details. The fact is, we are praying. We're in conversation with God. And so Moses was reminding God about his promises. You can go back. There. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. When Mo, the people of Israel were at the foot of the mountain, engaged in idol worship, God's anger burned against them. He was prepared to destroy them. But Moses interceded. The circumstances had changed. God would have destroyed them, but there was someone pleading for them. Can you have an effect on God? Is there someone's life who's in danger? not going right, someone who doesn't know God, who is ignoring God, who's messing everything up, and you see them and you're concerned for them, and if you don't do anything, who knows what's going to happen? But you pray. God's going to listen to your prayer. That's the intercessory prayer. You're not praying for my, yourself, Lord, i got an ache in my leg. <laughs> oh, please, Lord, help. Yeah, go ahead and pray that prayer. God wants to hear you pray about your ache in your leg. God wants you to pray about your finances. God wants you to pray about your day. God wants you to pray about everything. But God definitely wants to hear you pray about somebody else. God's attitude towards sin is always anger. 
And his attitude toward those who call him is always an attitude of mercy. So you can change God's anger by praying and asking for his mercy. It doesn't change his will because he called on Moses to intercede. He wanted Moses to intercede, and Moses did that. He wants us to intercede. So how do we pray like Moses? And we're going to be going to a time of prayer after this. But first off, know that God hears your prayer. If I pray, oh, does God hear my prayer? Am I just praying to nothing? No, God hears your prayer. God heard the people down below when they were not praying, when God was talking to Moses on the mountain. He heard them when they weren't praying. When you pray, he will hear you. The little kid goes up to daddy, hey, daddy, yes, son. Or a little girl, hey, daddy, yes, daughter. God sees us. Know that he hears your prayer. And he cares for you. If Christ is willing to die on the cross for you, he cares, he loves you. Pray unselfishly. Moses did not pray selfishly. If Moses was selfish, he would say, you know what? I kind of like the idea about all these incidents coming through me. These people have been a real pain. They've been in pain when they're in Egypt. They've been they were complaining the whole time we got across. They're saying we're hungry and, and we're getting tired of this you know, quail. We're getting tired of my, uh, bread. I want some variety. I mean, they're complaining the whole time. And so Moses could have said, I've had it with these people. I kind of like being the next Abraham. Aaron being a, not a child of Abraham, but a child of Moses. Yeah, great. But he did not pray selfishly. He prayed unselfishly. He's willing to pray for the good of the people who are sinning. And we need to pray for the good of the people who are sinning. And pray for others with a deep heart. Not just, Lord, bless the entire world. In Jesus' name, amen. No, Lord, help my neighbor down the street. They're in a car accident. I can tell she's been in the hospital the last couple of days. Lord, I just pray you really help her out. I don't think about it. Whatever the case is, pray for others with a deep heart. God will hear that deep heart. Pray for others regularly. Be constant in prayer. Being constant in prayer doesn't mean you're always kneeling at an altar. It means you're driving down the street you're praying. Attitude of prayer continually. Pray for others in detail. Go ahead and pray for detail. I'm not going to get all the details of everybody around the world, but I can pray for so-and-so and a particular need. And pray for others with love. The list go on. Those are just some ideas. But this time, I'd like for us to go to a time of prayer. And generally, we always have where the elders come forward. And, and the elders, wise, they want to join, and we pray. But I'd like to kind of expand that. Because we don't have as many elders in this room as we have people. And so I want the elders to come forward to be here if you need it to come up for any particular need. But turn to the other person next to you. You may not be super spiritual. You may, may not be super spiritual, but you can still pray. Just say, how can I pray for you? And you can pray those deep prayers. You can just say some, a simple prayer. Lord, just pray to be with Martha here or Jane here or George. Just pray something. Let's go to the time of prayer before we leave today. And after the prayer, I have Pastor Grady come up. So let's go to the time of prayer at this time.